Walking through deserts, I need more of your presence. I'm weak, Savior, be my strength. Good morning. Hey, if you've never met me before, my name is Doug Holcomb, the senior pastor at Live Oak. I'd love to meet you. Uh, if you don't know me well enough to answer this question, don't guess. There are two types of people in this world, beach per- people and mountain people. Which am I? Beach. I'm a beach person. There's two kinds of people in the world, beach people and people who are wrong. That's how it is. That's how I see it. I'm a beach person. Here's a picture of a beach. Yeah, I, I, I just right away, you almost find yourself kind of going there and Feeling whatever you feel at the beach, probably relaxed, energized. I don't know what it is for me. It's good for my soul to see palm trees. So anyway, but let me set the tone a little bit. Music's a powerful thing. It kind of sets the tone, right? Helps you kind of maybe just even take a little break without being there. Does that change at all with this song? you're waiting in the water right now and that music's playing you're part of the script that says victim number three or something like that like it's it's not a good thing right and so music's powerful when John Williams wrote this uh, for Steven Spielberg Steven Spielberg thought he was kidding because it was dun 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 just these two notes back and forth and he's like what else you got he goes no that's it and that music you hardly ever saw the shark in Jaws but you felt something you thought your imagination was playing out that way now, some of us play the shark music when we look at our curtain situation. We look at what's going on in front of us. Maybe even we hear it when the alarm goes off in the morning. And we think about what we're facing, and we've got the shark music playing, and we just feel like the sense of dread. But if you're facing a tough situation and you hear this music, how does it change? Yeah. What do you want to do? You want to get up and punch somebody. You want to fight. You want to keep going. It's powerful music. Powerful music. So here's the thing. Music is very powerful. Literally, it's powerful. Like I watched this documentary. I watched it for the third time yesterday. No, maybe I think it was more than that. This documentary called Score about the composers, Hans Zimmer, John Williams, James Horner, these people that write these musical scores, which I love, that go to the movies and actually give them even more that's actually there. And James Cameron said, if you get the wrong score, or even the wrong just scoring at one piece of the movie, it can totally change it, for the better or worse. And so music's very powerful, literally. And for some of you, songs we've sung here in worship have been something that you said, I want to add that to my playlist. And it's helped you fight battles and build a faith. And it's, it's literally good, but figuratively, we have music playing in the background of our life. And it's important what song you're playing. And we've been talking about this guy named Habakkuk in the Old Testament, who is this prophet who has this prophecy, but the word actually meant a a doom, a weight, a burden. Because what he saw in the world, he couldn't reconcile with what he believed about God. God's good, God's powerful, God's in charge. But then he looks at the world and goes, I don't see that right now. And his name literally means to embrace what he believed about God was good, 
But he wrestled with these questions. And Habakkuk is a unique book because it actually is not a prophet speaking to the God. And he was a unique prophet. He wasn't a prophet speaking to the people on behalf of God. He was a prophet speaking to the God on behalf of the people. Asking questions like, why? How long? Why are they succeeding when they're the bad guys? And God actually answers his questions. But he says, you're right, it's bad. But here's the thing, I'm going to let it get worse. And in chapter 1, Habakkuk is wondering. He's asking these questions. He's wrestling with these questions. Embracing what he believes, but wrestling. And he's real, he's raw, he's authentic, and he shows it's okay to do that. And then in chapter 2, God says, yeah, I'm sending the Babylonians, they're going to overthrow you. And then he's in the season of waiting. Waiting not just for that to happen, but waiting like, God, how are you going to use this? And how do we go on? And how do I answer the people? And he's in the season of waiting. Chapter 1 is wondering. Chapter 2 is waiting. And then chapter 3, his tone changes. It goes from sharp music to something completely different. But it's not the rocky music, but it's not that far off. And actually, it says this in Habakkuk 3, verse 1. It's a prayer of Habakkuk on Shiganoth. Now that, yeah, what? It's used one other time in the Bible in Psalm 7. It's a musical term. What happens next, what we read next, isn't just words, and it's not even just a prayer, it's worship. He's singing a song. Any musicians in here? Sometimes on music, there's little notes that say, this is how this song is to be played. This song is a ballad. Or this song is a shout chorus. Or this song is is hip-hop. Or this song is, you know, in jazz, it's it's swing. Like, it has all these different terms. And there's other terms like that. Like, this term is, is a musical note that means this. Sing the song with wild, passionate singing. There's rapid changes of rhythm. It's high-spirited praise. And it's vigorous enthusiasm. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, like lots of them. It's that kind of song. It's not a cry-in-your-beer ballad. It's not the Babylonians are coming and it's not going to go well. It's not that kind of song. It's spirited praise even though what he sees in front of him does not give him reason to do it. He changes his tone. And it goes on to say this. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Like he starts singing this with enthusiasm, with exclamation points, with loud praise. Nothing has changed in the world around him. And some of the most powerful praise and powerful prayers are praise before the provision. Like when God does something and we say, thank you, you did it. Thank you. It's powerful. But when you pray and praise before the provision, not only do I think that's very meaningful to God, it changes you. It changes the tone. It changes the perspective. It moves from shark music to rocky music. Like it changes. Suddenly you're moving forward. And that's what he does. And what he says is repeat them in our day. 
in our time. Make them known. Basically, he says, do it again. You've done that before. Do it again. This isn't a praise for what God is doing. It's a praise for who God is that does not change based on our circumstances. And we've talked in this series about there's valleys or hills and there's valleys. And a lot of times when you're in the valley, it gets our attention and we're so focused on that that we forget that God has promised to be with us in the hills and the valleys. That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because he promised to be with us. And when you remember that David who wrote that psalm, he was talking to and believing in the same God that I hope you talk to and believe in. The same God that Habakkuk was praying to and he experienced is the same God that you have a relationship with, I hope. The same God who was with Moses, with Joshua, with whenever you read anybody in the Bible and they have this connection with God, that's the same God you're talking to. That's the same God that has promised he will be with you when you walk through the valley if you will choose to be with him. It's the same God. And when you remember what he's done for others, you're thanking him for his character, for the who he is, not just what he does. And he says, God, I've heard of what you've done for them. Would you do it again in our day? And when you find yourself going from a mountain to a valley, when you find yourself in the valley, and at some point in life, you're going to be there. So if you're not there now, remember this. If you are there, he does, Habakkuk does two things that really fueled this song of praise. And he actually does it in this. He says, this is why I can sing this way. First, he remembers. He remembers God's past, God's track record, his history. In verse 3, it says, God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. Now, those locations don't mean a lot to us, but it meant so much to them. These were two places that God took His people for refuge after delivering them from the Egyptian bondage and slavery. He said, you're the God that led them there. You've done it before. Would you do it again? Would you lead us to a place of refuge ultimately? It's, a, it's, a, it's this idea of remembering the story he had been told. He hadn't lived it. But every parent made sure that their kids knew the story that one day there was a time in history where we were slaves and we were mistreated and abused. And Pharaoh would not let us go. And then God changed his heart. And we were delivered from that. But as we were leaving, Pharaoh had a change of heart and pursued us. And he said, and they would tell their kids, remember this, like he chased them down to the Red Sea. There was no way out. But with God, there's always a way forward. And he parts the Red Sea and we went across on dry land. And when they tried to pursue us, God wiped out that army. And it says in Exodus, he did that so they would know who God is. And he says, that's the God that was with them. It's the same God that's with us. Remember what he's done. This is why the, the importance of gratitude is, is such a key tool in your life. It's praise for the what God does to remind us of who he is. And we need to know God's track record with others and with ourselves and practice gratitude and thanksgiving. When's the last time you sat down and just made a list of what you're thankful for? 
of things God has provided for you, things God has done for you. Was it last November? Was turkey being served? <laughs> like if, if, if that's the, t- like the only time you have this practice of gratitude in your life, you, you might have trouble remembering. You may be forgetful when you find yourself in the valley and you think, God, have you ever done anything for me? Yes. And maybe you feel like in your life he hasn't. Well, there's a track record and a history of things he's done for others. And there's a history and a track record of things he's done for others that when you know what he's done for them, you can pray, God, would you remember do that in our day? I remember not just what you've done, but I remember who you are, that you're good, you're powerful, you're loving, you're just, but you're also merciful. God, we need that. I remember that's who you are. And when we know what he's done in the lives of others, we remind ourselves, that's the same God who wants to be involved in my life. And we remember. Verse four through six, it says this. His splendor was like the sunrise, thinking about what God did when he intervened on behalf of his people back then when they escaped from Egypt. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. He said, Pharaoh, you're not in charge. I'm in charge. I'm God. And everyone was shaken. And he goes on to describe that in verses 7 through 15. These are the things I'm remembering of what God has done. I remember, I remember, I remember. What has God done for you? Don't forget. Remember. Make a list. Find ways to keep it forefront in your mind or record those. I can think of things where God, times in my life where things that God has done or places he's shown up. And I think, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. Because if I don't remember that, I will forget who God is when I find myself in the valley. So what I want to ask you is, what has God done for you? What has he done? Remember that. Because it changes perspective. It changes the tune when you find yourself in the valley. And you sing kind of like Habakkuk did. You did it before. And I know, I know you can do it again. And he, he says this in verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He goes, I have a different perspective on this. God, I'm waiting, and I know that you're going to let this army come in and wipe us out, but I will wait for that because you're in the middle of it. We're not alone. I don't fully get it, and I have a physical response to it that makes me want to run. But I will wait and stay right in the middle of where I think God's plan for me is. And he doesn't say, yet I will wait, like, yet I'll endure it. This is an embrace, yet I will embrace this. Remember, his name meant to wrestle with his questions and doubts, but also to embrace. And as he goes through this wrestling process, what he embraces gets both tighter and more, with more depth. And to Habakkuk through this book, he goes, I feel like our enemies are winning. I feel like the Babylonians are winning, and God's like, yeah, they are, and I'm going to allow it. And Habakkuk responds and says, my God is still on the throne. My God has always been good. My God has always been faithful. And it's not a superficial kind of state of denial, like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Things are not okay. And he calls it what it is. But he says, even though that, 
I still trust in my God. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Shaking off. Like it's just loud. I still believe this. Even though I have a lot of reason not to. You know, for them, their provision, a lot of times, like for living, like we show up, most of us go to work or we go to school and at some point we show up someplace and there are things that we need provided for to enable us to do what we do. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a CEO, a student, an athlete, whatever you are, like you need something to show up to help you be fruitful and productive at whatever you do in life. For them, it was mainly agricultural and ranching-based. So this is, may not mean a lot to you unless you're a rancher or a farmer, but it meant this was their well-being and provision for life, what he says next. Though the fig tree does not bud, I don't like figs, so that doesn't mean a lot to me, but for them, that was commerce, that was provision, that was life. Though there are grapes on the vines, man, it's getting warmer to me, but I don't have anything to do. Like, if there's a bad harvest, it doesn't affect me that deep. Though the olive crop fails, I hate olives. Like, it can be lost on me as it goes through this, but like, plug in your own. If I don't have a job, if I get fired, if my bank account goes empty, if the table of the people I care about goes empty, if my relationships go away, if I find myself all alone, if the medical diagnosis doesn't change but gets worse, though, 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 whatever it is, plug in yours, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, no money in the bank, no kids at the table, no relationship in my life, no hope for the future, no, there, I, I don't see a way forward, I don't see a way out. If there's no change in my health, whatever those things are, though those things, think about how powerful what he says next is this. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Something's changed from chapter 1. He was wrestling and wondering, God, why, why, where are you? How long? What's going on? But now he says, even if it, nothing gets better, in fact, it gets worse. I can say with exclamation points, I'll rejoice, not in my circumstance, in the Lord. Not in my situation, but, in the, but be joyful in God my Savior. He embraced something much deeper that he had a hard time embracing in chapter 1. You may be able to make a list of lots of reasons not to embrace that God is good, that he's powerful, that he's even present. You may have lots of reasons not to rejoice. But I would challenge you to make another list. Call it what it is. Define reality. But make a list of what you embrace to be true about who God is. Make a different list that says, no matter what, I still trust in God. My hope is in God's promises. My hope is in God's presence. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Sometimes when Je- it's, it's not to a point in life when Jesus is all you have that you find out that Jesus is all you need. Habakkuk came to that point where he realized God is enough. And he says this in verse 19. The 
sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Think about this, the idea of hills and valleys. When I find myself in the valley, what gets me to the heights is him. Several, the past several Easter, maybe five, like we typically would use a similar phrase of what we wanted to help provide through Easter and the series that followed it. It was hope and help. And that's still the case. But this year, I, like, as I was wrestling with this series, I thought sometimes I think I'd rather have help than hope. Help gets me out of the ditch. Help provides relief. And God does provide that. And sometimes we need that. And sometimes it really does show up and it helps. But ultimately what we need is not help, it's hope. We need to know that somewhere beyond the horizon as we walk forward by faith that God is who he says he is. That he does keep his promises. That there is purpose in pain and brokenness and loss. We need to know that that's there. And sometimes for me, I've wanted help more than I've wanted hope. I just want out. I want relief. And sometimes I'll even sell out hope to get help for me, just confession. There's a difference between hope and help. Help is temporary, but hope is something lasting, eternal, and has a depth to it that you can't understand until you're grabbing onto that and it's all you have. And my hope is in God's character and in his promises. In chapter 1, when you're wondering and you're wrestling, the temptation is to walk away. That's Habakkuk chapter 1, but he doesn't. Habakkuk chapter 2, he's tempted to quit on God, but he doesn't. And if you want to have a chapter 3 faith, you might have to go to that experience that makes you wrestle if you want to have a chapter 3 faith, you might have to be, go through a season of waiting. If you want to have a chapter 3 faith, you have to do this wondering and waiting and wrestling that could lead you to a deeper embrace of not just knowing about God, but knowing Him personally. And we may enjoy praising God on the mountaintops, but we learn to trust Him in the valleys. And the thing about hope, go to verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Some people would argue that that shows that God's a mountain person. Well, you could translate it a lot of different ways. I think he enables me to go to the beach is how I translate it. So don't get caught up on that. God's a beach person. But here's the thing about hope. Hope embraces the goodness of God, past, present, and future. It has to be all three. For me, hope at times has felt evasive, like it's a moving target. And it's usually because I was only doing one-tenth. And sometimes it's, we think hope is future because it's like, I hope it turns out. That's not hope. That's luck. Hope is past. We remember what God has done for me and for others. Hope is past. But it's also future. It's hope is the belief, even though I can't see it, that God is who he says he is, He's going to do what he said he's going to do. And that ultimately all things will be set right. Hope is absolutely future-based, but it's also rooted 
in the past, but it's also, it's practiced in the present. That today is my opportunity to hope. Hope isn't something you have, that's a noun. Hope is something you do, it's a verb. I hope. By looking past and and remembering, looking forward and believing by faith, even though I can't see it. But by present, it's choosing to keep walking forward. The other thing I've learned, I'll say it this way, the thing I've embraced about hope, one of the reasons it's been so evasive for me, I think, at times, is sometimes our hope is that things will work out in this life. And the reality is there are some things that will, and God will do that. But we still live in a broken and fallen world. And our hope is not things that all things will be made right in this life. Our hope is that ultimately God will make all things right. The first followers of Jesus and those who followed after, they looked at the world differently than I do. They looked at the world and said, this is not home. But my hope is based on something that will happen after this chapter of history is done and I'm no longer here. My hope is future-based. They lived with eternity in mind and they believe that this world is not our home. And at times, if we settle for help, we try to make ourselves as comfortable as we can in this world. And by doing that, we miss hope and this idea that there's a God that has the whole thing in mind but eternity is where it really lasts. Uh, I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to close with a song. I just think you're more likely to go home humming a tune than humming a sermon. And so I'm hoping something in this, in this song, as you listen to it, we're going to listen to it. We're going to sing it next week, I think. But I just want you to listen to it and think about two things. One, the idea that there is something in eternity. And sometimes that feels like, so all I can do is tread water. No. Keep walking. C.S. Lewis said this. We've quoted him in every, every week of the series. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world. In his book, uh, some of his great writings were fiction. There were some non-fiction, like a fiction like Mere Christianity, Problem of Pain, A Grief Observed, great books. But he wrote The Chronicles of Narnia which was seven books. One of them was The Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe. Most of us are most familiar with that, but it was seven. And it's this imagery. Aslan the lion is Jesus. And at the end, the, the kids arrive at heaven. And the story is over. But I love... Does anyone have my phone? Oh, here it is. Okay, gosh, that was a, that was a moment of panic. Um... This is how it ends. Spoiler, I'm sorry. Hashtag spoiler alert. Uh, This is how it ends. The kids are arriving home. Aslan the lion looks different now because now they're stepping into eternity. But not the story. It's they're just stepping into this different chapter. And for us, this is the end of the stories. And we can mostly truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, this was only the beginning of the real story. And their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever. 
in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's eternity. This is why we can stand around the graveside of someone we care about and have hope. This is why we can look at a medical diagnosis and go, I can have hope. This is why when we suffer and struggle, but we keep walking by faith, this is why we can do that. Because there's something better for us. And the beauty and the goodness of God is hidden in the mess of this world. So we keep walking knowing that our our mind is set on eternity. This world is not our home. But the thing is, this home is still, still where we live. So you have to remember what God has done. So you can say, God, I, I know what you've done. Please do it again. And this song, it starts off, and it's in Joshua chapters 5 and 6. The Israelites finally, God delivers them, and they show up in the promised land. But it has other tenants. People are living there that didn't get the memo. And they're stronger than they are, and they're scary. And they show up, and God says, see, I've delivered you Jericho. But nothing has changed. They're in behind their walls with their big armies. But he goes, see, I delivered it to you. They're like, no, we don't see that. He goes, well, go walk around the wall one time a day for six days. And on the seventh day, walk around it seven times. And then y'all yell and play trumpets and the walls will fall down. Imagine trying to sell that to the army generals. Here's the battle plan. We're going to walk and we're going to play the trumpet. Imagine every day having to walk around and look at this immovable wall. Because I think what God wanted to see is that I want you to know that I'm bigger than any wall you're facing. Any enemy you're against. Any circumstance you face. Any darkest valley. I'm with you. And I've got this. But you won't feel like it at the time. But whatever he's done, whatever you can remember reminds you of who he is. It reminds you that that's his track record. He can do it again. So listen, listen to the words of this song.
Like we believe that. And we ask, some of us are praying that, God, I need you to do it again. And, and you may not remember what God's done in your life, but I promise he's been at work. And sometimes you have to dust for fingerprints to find God's hand is all over it, but it's there. And it's not because he's hiding, he's there. 
But life has a way of making God feel like he's not. But the primary promise he makes in the Bible is, I will be with you. Are you looking for him? And are you seeking him? If you need help, it's okay to seek help. Please do. Don't don't do that at the expense of hope. Because ultimately, the number one asset you have in life is a a forward-looking, believing hope and a deep faith that keeps you walking forward on whatever path God has for you. And it's not that he's there at the end of the road waiting for you. He's with you every step of the journey. My, my prayer for you throughout this series has been Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. We enjoy praising God on the mountaintops, but we learn to trust him in the valleys so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you overflow with hope. No matter how the circumstance you're in plays out, God is faithful. And he has a track record of doing it again and again and again. Not just for others, but for you as well. Let's stand for closing prayer. Hey, just two things I want to tell you about real quick. One, next week is a family Sunday. Um, our friends, uh, four-year-olds through fifth graders will be in here, 9.30 and 11. Uh, we'll be talking about a courageous faith. And then I also want to remind you about Lubbock Impact. Um, if we could put that slide up there, perfect. Um, we have a chance. Our, our mission field is across the street, across the globe, and the next generation. This is a chance for us to reach out to some kids who might not get a camp experience um, and serve them well. And to be a sports instructor does not mean you need to be an athlete. We have help that can help you facilitate some meaningful activities. There's a chapel experience. There's a meal provided. We like being the hands and feet of Jesus across the street and to the next generation. And this is a chance for us to do that. Um, I know some of you have limited vacation time or tight schedules. But there's something good about, Jesus even said, like, when you take care of a little one, it, it really moves the heart of God. And so this is a way to just... Provide something for them that's relational, not just recreational. This is an important part of our mission field. So if you have opportunity and availability, we'd love to have you there. If not, would you please pray that God would use this in their lives and in our lives for his good purposes. Let's pray. God, thanks that you love us, that you're for us, and that you're with us every step of the way. Many of us are facing difficult circumstances that feel hopeless. Thanks that you're the God of all hope pray that we would overflow in hope as we trust in you because you promised to be present through your Holy Spirit and we need that I pray that this week you would remind us that you are with us and that you are for us and your character your promises can be trusted in Jesus name I pray, amen thanks for being here, if you'd like to talk I'll be down at the front Good.